you don't go to Europol for that, do you? I mean, is that what Europol is for? This guy needs a shower? (laughs) Get me Europol on the line. You call Europol. And Brexit isn't looking so stupid now, is it? (laughs) Wow, you haven't chosen your audience very well. (laughs) Smashing Security, Episode 242. Proton Mail Privacy Questioned, and Banksy Blunder, with Carol Terrio and Graham Cluley. Hello, hello, and welcome to Smashing Security episode 242. My name's Graham Cluley. And I'm Carol Terrio. And we're joined this week by returning guest, a semi-regular, it is the Cyberwire's Dave Bittner. Hello, Dave. Hello, hello. Do you like being known as the Cyberwire's Dave Bittner? Do you want to be Dave Bittner, popular on? I don't know. They pay my mortgage, so I'm okay with it. (laughs) Yeah, but they aren't paying us, are they? They're not sponsoring. (laughs) Not yet. (laughs) So why are we plugging them? I mean, we're technically competitors, right? We're friendly rivals, wouldn't you say? I wouldn't say we're rivals. I wouldn't say we're friendly. (laughs) I mean, we we go after some of the – yeah, exactly. (laughs) We share some of the same advertisers, which is – which is good. We share Carole. We share Carole. Most, most importantly. If we're, ad- right. if we're, yeah, if, if, if we're competitors, what the fuck am I doing? Uh, <laughs> I'll have to well, quit one of you guys. Yeah. Well, mm. it's pretty good over here in the gold US of A, Carole. Yeah, it looks great. <laughs> My mind's made up. <laughs> Let's thank this week's sponsors, privacy.com and 1Password. It's their support that helps us give you this show for free. Now, coming up on today's show, Graham, what do you got? I will be reporting from La Belle France. <laughs> Dave, what about you? I'm going to be looking into Facebook's algorithmic amplification. Whoa. Okay. And I'm getting all arty and talking Banksy. All this and much more coming up on this episode of Smashing Security. Almost at the Cyberwire there. Wow. Chums. Chums. France. Ah, formidable. La Belle France. Home of the beret, the stripy shirt, the guillotine. People smoking like chimneys, drinking wine, snorting cheese. You both fans of France? (laughs) (laughs) Wow. I hate to say that I find this slightly offensive just all around. Dave, have you been to France? I have been to France. I was only there once when I was a teenager. I was on one of those sort of band and choir trips where you visit all around Europe. And uh, we were in Paris for a day or two, and it was delightful. Ah, You got your little cultural... Injection. Oh, yeah. Cultural injection. Yeah, although I do remember that um, the waiters were quite rude, but I think that's 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 not a bug. That's a feature, come, come, right? Come, come, come! I don't think I don't think you'll find rude waiters in Paris. Surely not. <laughs> that has never happened to me. Well, you speak fluent French. I do not. Oh, you think it's a language thing? They think if they, if you don't speak French, they're rude. That's what I've heard. I don't know. Well, I think it's a wonderful country. I think it's wonderful. Yep. Paris, fabulous place to visit, but alas. Paris is just a city. You know that. Yes, I know Paris is. Yes, I know Paris is a city. Okay, just. I'm just. That's like. 
What which means just check? Well, you just said all oh, of France, Paris. It's like, well, there's a lot more places. It's well, like well, are, England, London, uh, London. So great. Sorry, can I explain how my segment of the show works, right? It's a little <laughs> bit like watching a movie, right? You have the swooping helicopter shot at the first. The first thing you see is you see the Earth hanging in orbit around the sun. All right. And we yeah. zoom into Europe. We've and all used we Google Earth. France. We know where we are. Okay. Yeah, like the now, opening image from Radio Garden. Oh, sorry. I didn't want to bring oh. up a touchy point. <laughs> Not again. <laughs> we swoop into the Arc de Triomphe, the Eiffel Tower. The Ouch, Sacrica. bang, clash, kapow. <laughs> <laughs> but alas, Paris is changing. The cutesy independent shops and cafes have been swept away by the tide of moneyed gentrification. They've been replaced by luxury brands aimed at the tourists and boutiques selling designer gear. Who don't like coffee. Well, quite possibly not. Or they're selling (laughs) coffee which is substandard, dare I say. Maybe even coffee which comes from American multinationals. So France and Paris in particular are being culturally destroyed, wiped out. And this isn't a good thing. In fact, pas très bien means not very good. I have no idea what you just said. Oh, pas très bien. Okay. Yeah, pas très bien. <laughs> what does that, that mean, Carol? That was, that was a test. Not good, yeah. Oh, got yeah. it, got it. Now, yeah. some people aren't just grumbling into their dark black cups of coffee and listening to sorrowful accordion music. Going zut à l'air. <laughs> yeah. Mais non, malheureusement. No, they are revolting. They are protesting for the past year or so. <laughs> There is an anti-capitalist group called Youth for Climate. Uh, it's probably Climate pour le Youth or something. I Anti-capitalistic or pro-climate. Which one would you think it identify with more? Well, that, that, they do a bit of everything. They, they cover a number of things. <laughs> they, they have a long list of grievances. <laughs> they do. They do. They don't like Airbnb. They don't like rising property prices. They don't like posh restaurants. They don't like all the capitalism, all the money coming in. They do not like the gentrification of Paris. And so they have occupied some buildings in part of Paris called <clears throat> Place Saint-Amade. And what? they are used. What? <laughs> Can you spell it, please? <laughs> Place, P-L-A-C-E. Yeah, thank you. Yeah. Saint, yeah. S-A-N-T-E. Yeah. Santa. Sant. Okay, Santa. Yeah. And yeah. then Marthe, which is like Martha, but with an E on the end instead Mart. of an A. Saint Marthe. Okay. Okay, Marthe. Place Saint Marthe. Very good. So they've occupied buildings there, right? And they've been there for about a year. And, of course, they're using the internet to rally support and to coordinate their activities. Are they paying rent? They're not paying rent. That would rather go against the whole anti-capitalist bit, wouldn't it? If they well, were I was just paying the rich during, landlords. I was just thinking during COVID, maybe the rents were really, you know, slashed and, you know. I okay. don't think it's much of a protest if you're there with the permission of the landlord and paying rent. I think okay. that just means you've moved So this in. is part of the protest. Their headquarters exactly. is part of the protest. Okay. They've gotcha. occupied these buildings. Right. And French police have been trying to identify who is operating the group's email account. Right? Hmm. And this is an email account hosted at ProtonMail. Are you familiar with ProtonMail, guys? Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. Yep. Right. For any listeners who are, you use it, don't you? Yeah. Yeah, yep. I've got Proton Mail. I don't use it as my main account, but I I do have a Proton Mail account. It's a really simple, easy way to get end-to-end encrypted email, which means that they can't read your messages, and the authorities can't read your messages either because they're all encrypted. And it's much much easier than setting up PGP or something like that. Now, Graham, is ProtonMail a closed system? In other words, can you only communicate with other ProtonMail users? So it is completely end-to-end encrypted if you are speaking to other ProtonMail users. If you're Mm. speaking to the outside world, you do have the option of uh, importing their PGP keys, and then you can very easily communicate encrypted with the outside world as well. Ah. Uh, But by default, it wouldn't be encrypting with the outside world. But certainly... Proton Mail to Proton Mail is all end-to-end encrypted. Mm-hmm. Now, Proton Mail has become really popular over the last few years because it's got this really strong focus on privacy. A lot of the messaging on their website makes emphasis of the fact that they are based in Switzerland. Their servers aren't based in America; they're in Switzerland. All the user data is protected by strict Swiss privacy laws. Yeah, and word on the street, like if you kind of listen in to little forums where a lot of techies mm. hang out, they all kind of go, oh, Proton Mail, Proton Mail, Proton Mail. So, yeah, it's got a kind of cachet, doesn't it? Yeah, and it, not just people who are sort of privacy conscious for legitimate reasons, but also bad guys and cyber criminals will often use Proton Mail, or you will see messages inside ransom notes where they'll ask you to contact them via Proton Mail. Hmm. Spammers, scammers, and so forth will use that. And, and Proton Mail, to its credit, you know, it would obviously regard that as a breach of its terms and conditions because it's criminal activity, and they would shut down accounts. So Proton Mail, you pay for it by subscription. Um, you can get a free account as well, but to use it full blast, you, you pay some money. So it's not advertisers, and so that's another big difference from using things like. It sounds like an advertising for it. Okay, it's quite well, all the USBs, <laughs> Jesus. Well, is it? Is it? Is uh, it? Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> but, but wait, there's more. <laughs> because Proton Mail, like I said, makes this big thing about our encryption can't be bypassed. The email content can't be compromised by legal orders, but. If you read the privacy policy, which I'm sure, Carol, you would have done if you were a user, it does admit that it can access some information. So what is accessible is the sender and recipient's email addresses, the IP addresses that incoming messages originate from, message subjects, and message sent and received time. So there is so some... basically everything except for the content of the message. Well, yeah, but that's really yeah. to do with the, the, the SMTP specification, right? Yeah. Which is as old as time itself because the email headers aren't encrypted. Mm-hmm. So not really necessarily enough for the, the authorities to sort of hang their hats on. Anyway, French police, they wanted to identify who was operating this account. But ProtonMail, which is based in Switzerland, when they got the request from the French police, they kind of go... Ah. You've got no jurisdiction over us. You are French. <laughs> not Swiss. Why yeah. Should, well, yeah, yeah, exactly. You're not Swiss. Why should we mm-hmm. do anything for you? We obey Swiss law. So hmm. the French went to Europol, and Europol yeah. got a Swiss court order which compelled ProtonMail to play ball and saying you've got to gather some information, details of who is using this account. 
<laughs> and, and this has kicked up an enormous stink amongst all the privacy wonks. It's like, oh, ProtonMail, you told us we were secure, but you've now gone and assisted French police with this investigation. And it's not like this guy was a cyber criminal or, you know, something like that. He was an activist. And why are you doing this? And ProtonMail is saying, well, we have to abide by Swiss law. I kind of agree with that. Like, unless, I mean, I don't know what this this activist group have done, right? I don't know if, if they have broken the law in ways that are as dangerous for the public or whatever. Yeah, but- I mean... I mean, obviously, they're, they're occupying some property without permission, and they might be causing a nuisance. Maybe they haven't washed their hair enough. But again, you know, these are things which you, some which you could charge against many people in Paris. You don't go I to mean, Europol for that. What? No. Do you? Well, I, I mean, well, that, is I, that what Europol is for? <laughs> this guy needs a shower? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Get me Europol on the line. You call Europol. And Brexit isn't looking so stupid now, is it? <laughs> Wow, you haven't chosen your audience very well. (laughs) (laughs) Um, (laughs) First radio garden, now this. Uh, So so I imagine the French managed to convince the Swiss authorities that this would be a crime under Swiss law as well as French law, whatever it might be. Proton Mail says, if you are breaking Swiss law, we can be legally compelled to log your IP address as you log in as part of a Swiss criminal investigation. And that mm. is what's mm-hmm. happened. Well, and that was part of their um, their their marketing was that even if they were able to see stuff, they weren't logging it, right? That's right. They don't log it yeah. by default, um, yeah. all of right. this stuff. But they can be compelled under Swiss law to begin to log stuff. Now, hmm. the thing is... ProtonMail said that if we are compelled to begin to log your IP address as you log into ProtonMail, we will inform you. Again, under Swiss law, you're required to tell the user you are being monitored, right? Hmm. But under certain circumstances, the notification of the user, quote, can be delayed under Swiss law. So if the authorities... Put together a convincing argument as to why, well, we don't really want you to tell the user that we're watching them right now. Oh, this is like properly Dickensian. This is just, or and Orwellian. This is just. <laughs> There's a lot of aliens. Yes. Yes. So ProtonMail did, it appears, delay notifying youth for climate that they were being monitored, at least the owner of that email account, for eight months. So were they compelled by Europol not to tell them or they chose not to tell them? Do you know? I would assume that they were told you may not tell them. Ass you. Well, no, I, I, I want to come to the defense of ProtonMail here. I really believe ProtonMail are the equivalents of these guys who are protesting in Paris. They are activists as well. They are really hot on security and privacy and they do seem to really believe in it. And Mm -hmm. I think this would have pained them greatly, but I think they were forced by the Swiss authorities to not tell their user that they were being monitored. But eight whole months. (laughs) You see this Europol guy going, of course, if you choose not to comply with our wishes, we could make life very (laughs) difficult for you. Yeah. (laughs) We'll cut off your supply of cuckoo clocks and holy cheese. (laughs) I think Europol have more jurisdiction than that. (laughs) Do you think? (laughs) Yeah. I don't think they're just sticking in, you know, the Swiss food market. (laughs) 
So everyone's <laughs> ganging up on Proton Mail right now, saying, "Oh, it's outrageous what you've done." Uh, and Proton Mail, I think, reasonably, reasonably, <laughs> are, are saying, "Well, you know, it doesn't matter who you use, unless you are based fifteen miles offshore in international waters, the company you use to handle your email." Has to comply with the law, and it feels that it's done everything that it could to reduce the amount of information it was collecting, and, and to play by the law in Switzerland. And Switzerland does clearly have stronger privacy laws than many other countries around the world. Hmm. I see a market opportunity here. Yes. Right. Yeah, I see it too. When are we going to get our rowing boat? Exactly. <laughs> when are we going to get our pedalo? All right, a solar-powered barge, fifteen miles offshore. Come is on, this water world. All of a sudden, <laughs> who was it? Kevin Costner? Was that who it was? Satellite? Yeah, satellite internet. Why not? I think I think we're onto something here, Graham. <laughs> yeah, I'll visit occasionally. <laughs> Dave, what have you got for us this week? Well, let's talk about Facebook, shall we? Ooh, None yeah. of us are active on Facebook. Are, is that right? No. Graham? No, I'm not on Facebook, no. No, me neither. Uh, I didn't actually delete my account, but I made it inactive, so it's it's sort of there in uh, a memorial frozen in to time. Dave <laughs> exactly. You can you can go look me up there, but I I haven't done anything on there in probably about 2 years. Um now, why did you choose not to be on Facebook? Uh, Carol, why don't you start off? What was your decision there? So I think I was early to the game, mm-hmm. but actually within a year, I found it really quite like, oh my God, my life's so great. <laughs> like, I think it was, I didn't like where social media was going even then. So I kind of, right. and then people used to post pictures of me on it a lot and I hated it, tagging me, you know, oh, I hated all that when people didn't ask. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Graham, what about you? Um, yeah, I, you know, I had an account for a while promoting my blog and things, but you know, it's just vile, isn't it? <laughs> uh, and, and of course we shut down the smashing security Facebook page as well. We used to uh, have it to promote the podcast mm. and then we thought, no, we shouldn't, we shouldn't be doing this. But generally it's, it's looking at Mark Zuckerberg and just thinking, oh, just wanting to give him a slap, really. Just thinking, oh, this is just so unpleasant and vile and just like, okay, two islands, Piers Morgan. Or Mark Zuckerberg. Which oh, one do you swim to? God. I, I just want to be eaten by the sharks, Crow. I don't, I don't. <laughs> I'll drown. I'll drown. I mean. It's like the end of Titanic. He'll just <laughs> sink, sink to the bottom. <laughs> well, so we're talking this week about a story from uh, Mother Jones, which, uh, full disclosure, is a left-leaning nonprofit publication. They have a decidedly progressive bent. So take everything we're going to talk about that comes from this article with that in mind. Um, they did uh, some digging into Facebook's algorithms and the way that they work. Uh, this is an I'm article sure it titled was "Perfect." <laughs> Well, it's titled Why Facebook Won't Stop Pushing Propaganda. It's written by Monica Bowerlein and Clara Jeffrey. Um, and uh, Mother Jones admittedly uh, has a horse in this race. They saw their numbers fall off uh, significantly when Facebook made some adjustments to their algorithms. Um, but really, this article is focused on what they refer to as algorithmic amplification. And that is the the tools that Facebook has to amplify the things that it thinks are going to make you more engaged with the platform. 
So as anyone who's been on Facebook knows, there are the things you see from your friends and family, your baby pictures and friends on vacation and just all the things that remind you how much better everyone else's life is than yours. Yeah. Oh, my God. It's so brilliant. <laughs> yeah. Right. Uh, so all of that stuff comes by. But then there's things that just sort of pop up randomly. They could be news things. They could, you know, all, all sorts of things. But Facebook figures out based on it analyzing your interests and things that you click on, it gives you more of the things that it thinks are going to lead to more engagement. Mm. And that's really the key thing here is that it's not giving you more things that it thinks you're generally interested in from a uh, from a learning point of view, uh, from a bettering yourself point of view. It's really about getting you to spend more time on Facebook. It's like it's like having a baby and going, gee, baby likes applesauce. Let's feed him applesauce. More applesauce. Give him applesauce. <laughs> right, applesauce. Right, exactly. So every time the baby <laughs> is crying, I give it applesauce yeah. and it, it's happy. Yeah. Right. Next yeah. thing you know, the baby's dead. Exactly. <laughs> right. 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 So Facebook is looking for the stickiest content, the stuff which it knows you're going to keep on coming back for in order that you keep on coming back to Facebook. Is that right? Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. And uh, some interesting things I pulled from this article here that, that speak to this. There was a uh, a scholar from the Stanford Internet Observatory named Rene Diresta, uh, and uh, they said free speech is not the same as free reach. And Ooh. I think that's really – isn't that interesting? Yeah. Sorry, and, sorry. What, what does that mean? I'm a little bit stupid. What does that mean, free speech well, is not the same as free reach? Well, the, the ability to say things without someone deleting the thing you say is not the same thing as having the thing you said amplified and spread around to millions ah, of people. Right. So if you're gotcha. Graham Cluley tweeting versus yes. your mm -hmm. Terrio tweeting – Mm -hmm. you will just naturally get way more reach. Now, right. I would argue that Graham gets way more reach because he's spent a fuck ton more time, you know, curating his following and posting stuff and being hilarious in his socials, right? Mm -hmm. So deserving, you know, of, of this, this class of people. And I haven't. So, and I don't have it. So I well, kind of. What, what this reminded me, this, this notion of free speech not being the same as free reach reminded me of when former President Trump was kicked off of Twitter. And went to start his own blog where he could basically do the same sort of information sharing that he had done on Twitter. <laughs> his blog was a flop, right? Mm -hmm. it, yes. So it wasn't what he was saying. It was the amplification that came from the platform. It was that there were hundreds of millions of people who had this automatically spoon fed to them every mm. day as part of their feed. That was the real power from social media that that's at least that's my interpretation of it well, also the power came from naysayers right naysayers may not go to his blog but it's there in front of them on on twitter and they by right. by by dissenting they're still contributing to the conversation not making yes. him irrelevant right right and and incentivizing other people to yeah. chime in with with their opinions yeah yeah, yeah joe i agree yeah <laughs> yeah uh, a couple other pulls here. It says, the real problem is that Facebook profits partly by amplifying lies and selling dangerous targeting tools that allow political operatives to engage in a new level of information warfare. Its business model exploits our data to let advertisers aim at us, showing each of us a different version of the truth and manipulating us with hyper-customized ads. I don't disagree with that. 
No, I think this is interesting too because imagine if you had a, a billboard on the side of the road, right? Mm. And you put something uh, provocative on that billboard that half of the population would agree with and half would find very offensive. Well, chances are the people who found it offensive would reach out to the billboard company. They'd reach out to the people who who uh, paid for the billboard and so on and so forth. But if they never saw that ad, if that ad was only shown to the people who would already agree with it, that's a very different proposition, isn't it? Mm. And Facebook enables advertisers to do that. In, in a much more powerful way than I think was available previously. Before. Oh, totally. Easily, mm. yeah. Yeah. So uh, the article talks about how there are some legislators who are trying to kick in what they're calling algorithmic accountability. Uh, Senator Cory Booker uh, from New Jersey, mm -hmm. Ron Wyden from Oregon. He's always uh, on top of these sorts of things. Mm -hmm. uh, Yvette Clark from New York. They have introduced legislation that would require companies to analyze and disclose highly sensitive automated decision systems on social platforms and in artificial intelligence tools. I have thought about this and, and I wonder if we don't need an algorithmic equivalent of the FDA where before you turn loose an algorithm on the general public at the scale of which companies like Facebook, companies like Google operate, that first you must prove that it will do no harm. It must be there's some uh, regulatory organization will analyze it, and it, that doesn't necessarily mean that uh, it has to be shared with the general public. Maybe it is still kept a trade secret the way that you know drugs are, but at least you have to demonstrate it. A third party has to agree that this algorithm will do no harm. I realize people are going to say that's going to stop innovation and mm. they won't be able to iterate on their algorithm and so on and so forth. But I think we've just seen that the way these algorithms function and when you combine that with the fact that, in my opinion anyway, when given the choice, Facebook will always do what is in the best interest of Facebook. Of course. You, you cannot trust Facebook to do the right thing. And again, some people will say, well, that's capitalism. Yes, it's partially capitalism, but I think there are also capitalistic companies who are good citizens, who are within the, the confines of doing their business and, and uh, you know, making their money, are also trying to do the right thing. And I'm not convinced that, that that's a core value that Facebook believes in. Yeah, capitalism without any morals or lacking in morality or ethics kind of is chaos, really, mm -hmm. right? And let's not forget Facebook's origin story, right? I mean, Facebook huh. was it's a, it's a website to judge female college students by Hot their looks. Yeah. Hot or not. Yeah. Yeah. So that that is the foundation on which this was built. And I think it's worth remembering. So good. We're all doomed. We're all doomed. <laughs> Another fun topic. There's no fix. Zuckerberg save, has ruined the save world. Us, save us, Carol. Save I us. always you're, do. You're, you're our only hope. <laughs> I always do. Carol, what have you got? You may remember a little while ago, we did an intro to NFTs on Smashing Security. So that was episode 226. And by uh, we, I mean, of course, me, because Graham, you were there, but I did the story. <laughs> so I wasn't really there. I wasn't really present during that so bit. so nice. Non-fungible tokens, right? That's right. It's an identification of ownership of something original in the digital or physical realm, okay? And it's not the same as copyright. It's an identification of ownership. 
Um, so now loads of people are playing around, well, loads, a smattering of people are playing around with it and making a fast buck. Other are testing its metal. Some are saying it's the biggest scam since doctors advertising cigarettes as good for us. And enter graffiti art god Banksy. Now, everyone listening has heard of Banksy. What do you know of him, Dave Graham? Well, he's certainly, uh, he's, he's a hot property, isn't he? Whether or not you like his stuff, and I do think that there is a good amount of talent there. Uh, I don't know that I agree with the enthusiasm that comes with the collectors of his work, but that's, but that's my opinion. I mean, art is worth whatever someone's willing to pay for it. So yeah. there you go. I, I think he's awesome. I think he's great. I think yeah. he's a good artist. And uh, he regularly will take some the side of someone's rubbish building and dramatically increase its worth by daubing on it overnight. And uh, I think it's great. He's one of the top earners uh, in the art world, like Damien Hirst, earning well over a million quid for some of his well-known works. Hmm. And do you remember, Graham, one of his early art coup d'etats was in 2004 at the Notting Hill Carnival. He handed out fake 10-pound notes with the face of Lady Di replacing the Queen's. And it was stamped Banksy of England. 2004. I was only 14 at the time, so I, I don't really remember that. But, 2004? Um, yeah, you so were 14. I was, I was a bit young. I don't remember that hmm. one. But anyway, carry on. Hmm. hmm. What is going on? <laughs> the biggest thing about Banksy is that no one seems to know who he is. Well, obviously, some people know who he is, but the public, the general public does not know who he is because he does everything on the down low, right? And you often have to wait till after the event of his unveiling of his artwork for him to take, you know, his invisible bow and take ownership of it. Okay, so setting the scene here. Last Tuesday morning, a piece of digital art popped up on Banksy's official website, okay? Right. And this was like Banksy Co. UK slash NFT. And on this page was a JPEG. The, the JPEG was called The Great Redistribution of the Climate Change Disaster. And with this was a digital image showing like a pixelated man in shades puffing on a gasper in front of some smoking chimneys. Now, no surprise to our super switched on listeners that the blockchain tech is seen by many as an environmental shit show. Politely put, it's extremely energy hungry, right? <laughs> but like those hot dog eating contestants, <laughs> like mm -hmm. none of us stand a chance. And so, so maybe this was a commentary from Banksy on the climate change blockchain thing going on, because underneath was a link to the auction site OpenSea, a, a crypto NFT site. Oh, okay, so you could buy the NFT of this image. Right. Hmm. Mm -hmm. The picture obviously doesn't look like much. It's kind of very pixelated, very basic. Um, but then I would say a lot of the hype around the NFT market is ridiculously simple pixel artwork. Like all that, um, you know, all that stuff, that crypto punk hype. You guys remember that? Yeah. Um, where you've got these kind of like, there's like 10,000 plus little drawings oh, that yeah. people are selling on Erethium. Yeah, yeah. Right. The million dollar webpage. Remember exactly. that? Exactly. They're at, they're at a billion dollars now. They're at a billion dollar market now. Yeah. Hmm. But I mean, even if it, even if it looks amateurish, if, if it's an image, which, you know, an NFT from Banksy, you're, someone's going to want that because it's by Banksy. Exactly. Right? Yeah. Right. right. Like it's a little bit different than his normal style. But then if he's poking fun at this whole NFT game and, you know, mocking the whole crypto punk hype and maybe you're going to give the money afterwards to some charity. So 
we get this art collector, right? Who gets wind of this web page and he's perusing the official website and he sees this mm-hmm. and he's like, I have to act quick, right? You know, to get a hold of this NFT because this is freaking gold. Mm. And thank the gods that he was rich enough to play this NFT game. So, so this art dude, being no chump, you know, gets his skates on and goes to the auction. And, you know, there's people bidding, there's people bidding, and he jumps in and offers 90% more than any of the rival bidders. Boom. Right. That's 250,000 pounds, okay? Hmm. Over $300,000. And no one else bids, and he secures the NFT for the Banksy gift work and making him the owner, and bada-beam, bada-boom. Yeah. Or is it? <laughs> is it? It turns out that the gift was not created by the graffiti king, Banksy. And it turned out that the official Banksy website got hacked. And the mm. image and the link uploaded was uploaded by an unauthorized third party. So, okay, so the thing being auctioned on Banksy's website wasn't authorized by Banksy, wasn't a Banksy. And someone has just made off with, what did you say, 300,000? Yeah. Yeah. Crumbs. There was just a link from the Banksy official website to the OpenSea's crypto market mm. for this particular work. And as soon as it was achieved, right, as soon as, as, soon as it was accepted, this, this huge offer of 300,000, mm. the money went straight off to the scammer, not to Banksy Incorporated or whatever. Mm-hmm. Via cryptocurrency. Via cryptocurrency. Or so Banksy says. <laughs> well, yes, we're going to come to that. We're going to come to that. We're coming to that. So, yeah, keep, keep that head on. Right. Now, apparently, the art collector explained to Joe Tidy, friend of the show, right, on the BBC, said, I confirmed the URL on, on PC and mobile before bidding. I only made the bid because it was hosted on his site, meaning Banksy's. When the bid was accepted, I immediately thought it was probably fake. And I don't know why he says, why yeah, would he why? think that? Yeah. Hmm. Maybe because it was too low. Maybe he thought like, you know, maybe he was just doing a dumb bid, right? Because <laughs> maybe he doesn't have 300,000. Maybe he's like, oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> right. We've all been there. Yeah. <laughs> so, so who was this digital scallywag that took all his cash, yeah. right? The, you know, the, the, the art collector wants to know. So he goes out on Twitter, talks to people and tweets out and makes a bit of a stink. And funnily enough, the money gets returned to his Ethereum account. Hmm. So that's interesting, right? Mm-hmm. Now he got all his money back except for the transaction fee that um, auction, OpenSeas takes. So 5,000 pounds or 6,000, 7,000 right. dollars. Oh, and I haven't told you the name, well, the moniker of this art collector who's been going around to the press. Okay. Are you ready for Clam this? Clam Gluley. <laughs> no. No, it's, no. it's, it's about oh. that. It's almost, it's close. It's close. Are you ready? Are you ready? I'm ready. Pranksy. Pranksy. Uh, <laughs> Pranksy. Of course. Of course. <laughs> he's the purchaser or he's, he was the... St- he's the purchaser and apparently he created this moniker or pseudonym or whatever ages ago in honor of Banksy, but it doesn't bode very well during this little media parade. Okay, right. I'm beginning to get a bit suspicious. (laughs) Okay, talk to me. Talk to me. I'm listening. Well, first of all, Banksy's a bit of a prankster himself, isn't he? Do you remember he was having that 
famous piece of art. I think it was the one with the girl. Yeah, girl with the heart balloon, yep. And the balloon, yep. It mm-hmm. was being auctioned, and it was like a televised auction. And then as the, the, the auction finished and someone had won it, and then the frame sort of stirred into action and went, and the art was shredded. So it became a new well, half piece of, it, of art. Half of it. Yeah, which was awesome, wasn't it? But obviously- it was. And it's it's interesting because it's just now going back up to market. So the right. guy who bought it for 1.1 million probably got bored of seeing half a work of art. <laughs> yeah, but it's now even more famous, right? Because Well, I know, but is it going to be worth more money? Like, it's just Because is that not <laughs> modern art itself? So if the... So let's... Right. Okay. This is really interesting. I didn't know all this about this Banksy thing. If Banksy's website got hacked and someone managed to direct people to an auction and they stole three, well, how much did you say? $300,000, a large yeah. amount of money. Large, yeah. Not it, a lot feel, of longer. It feels yeah. unlikely that they would return the money. It's the kind of stunt which Banksy himself would pull off because he has been brilliant at manipulating the media over the years. Hmm. Um, well, he, he has, but also interestingly, he is very much not a fan of copyright or any of this. And right. that's um, a source of a lot of his dramas because it means that uh, people can reproduce his images like card companies and mm-hmm. use his images and he's not going to claim rights. And the reason he doesn't have copyright is because you have to declare who you are as the owner. Oh, really? Um, so I don't know why he wouldn't just say someone else is the owner, but then that would give them legitimate rights over all his artwork. So he trades in trade or he works in trademarks, not copyrights. Could you not hmm. claim that the copyright owner is someone who is in a permanent vegetative state in some hospice or something? And yeah. And so they wouldn't yep. be able to. Banksy, if you're listening, you know, take the- notes. <laughs> okay. So I think either Banksy was in on it or maybe Pranksy. <laughs> so ridiculous was someone who found a vulnerability on Banksy's website set up this fake thing put in this ridiculous bid knowing that he was going to get his money back and got plenty of attention yeah which is and the- now he's getting tons of press attention including on smashing well, security and so is Banksy as what well what if it was someone who wasn't expecting this much money and now is afraid of the amount of heat that could be oh i'm sure put on your poll right oh no well we right. don't know where they are <laughs> But I mean, because this isn't the first, this isn't the only incident here where cryptocurrency has, is being returned. No. 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 People are maybe getting nervous if it's too much yeah. moolah. Yeah. Right. Now, the last thing in the tail is a US based ethical hacker has recently come out right. uh, saying uh, they had previously noticed the bank's site was vulnerable, quote, allowed you to create arbitrary files on the website and post your own pages and content, they told the BBC. And they said they reached out and ex- and told them and even tried to reach them out on, on Instagram and got no response from Team Banksy. Even on hmm. Instagram, they didn't get a response. I know. I know. From the- they should have made a TikTok video. That's how you get attention these days. You can't just use Instagram. <laughs> That's right. You gotta, yeah. Find a song. <laughs> yeah. Should have had it amplified on Facebook. I'm, I, <laughs> this all seems a bit of a rum old story to me. Hmm. The Banksy team have said nothing to do with us. We have nothing to do with NFTs. Nothing. They have not made a comment about their website being hacked or anything like that, but mm. they are saying nothing to do with us, Gov. Hmm. Hmm. Do we know from the ethical hacker whether the vulnerability still exists? No, the page has been taken down. I haven't gone and checked the website out to see. Mm. So. It does point to a, a, a serious security issue that lots of companies 
fall victim to, which is yeah. that people can gain access to their website and then they're able to post something using the actual URL from the website. Like the, yeah. as you said, Carol, the buyer here, he checked on mobile and on desktop to make sure the URL was correct. And it was. I know. I know. And you kind of think, well, Team Banksy, look, you probably have a lot of wanga in the bank. Maybe you need to hire a better IT, you know, risk assessors and get your site up to scratch. But then they were never expecting. They weren't doing NFTs. It was just some web page. Yeah. It's, uh, I don't know, as a, as a fellow artist, you know. Well, more publicity for Banksy, right? So there's well, that. Are you, are you a fellow artist, Crow? Do you, do you have a website where you are <laughs> I do. promoting I your do, art? I do, which is going to be updated soon, Graham. So watch this space. Is it, is it secure, crow.wtf? Is that, uh, is that website? It will be by the time the show goes out, right, Clue? This episode is brought to you by the folks at privacy.com. Privacy lets you buy things online using virtual cards instead of having to use your real ones. Protecting your identity and bank information on the internet. What a fantastic idea that is, and a great way of keeping your details out of the hands of the bad guys. Right now, new customers will automatically get $5 to spend on their first purchase. All you've got to do is go to privacy.com slash smashing to sign up now. And thanks to privacy.com for supporting the show. Around 80% of business data breaches result from weak or reused passwords. Using one password in your company can close the gaps in your security, combat shadow IT, and help your workers stay both productive and secure wherever they are. With the right tools and the right mindset, you can create a culture with one password where your employees feel empowered to share responsibility for security risk management. Everyone needs to be on board, working together to stay protected. Find out more and try 1Password for free for 14 days at onepassword.com. And thanks to 1Password for sponsoring the show. And welcome back. Can you join us at our favourite part of the show? The part of the show that we like to call Pick of the Week. Pick of the Week. Pick of the Week. Pick of the Week is the part of the show where everyone chooses something they like. Could be a funny story, a book that they've read, a TV show, a movie, a record, a podcast, a website, or an app. Whatever they wish. It doesn't have to be security-related necessarily. Better not be. Well, my Pick of the Week this week is not security-related. I have been watching something called the television. And on this invention called the television, I've been watching a streaming program available on Hulu and Disney Plus called McCartney 321, which you won't be surprised to hear is all about Paul McCartney. Rick Rubin, who's uh, he's basically Gandalf. He's the Gandalf of record producers. Uh, he has a cosy black and white chat with the former Beatle about his songwriting and songs. And they're basically sat there at a mixing board, fiddling with their buttons and uh, listening to some old songs and asking, why did you do that? Or what's all this about? Mm-hmm. It's it's not okay. Although this is my pick of the week, and I did enjoy it. There's six episodes, 30 minutes. It's not incredible. <laughs> well, thanks for making your pick of the week and telling all our thousands and thousands of listeners about it. <laughs> well, get right on that. <laughs> it, it was enjoyable. 
But if you're a Beatles obsessive like me, you've kind of heard it all before. And okay, can I ask? Can I ask a question? Yes. If you were watching the show and you needed to go for an urgent bathroom break, would you press pause? Um, I would press pause. If the remote was on the opposite direction of you, it wasn't on your way to the bathroom, you'd have to walk. <laughs> How urgent is the bathroom break? I mean, what sort of... Pretty urgent. Is it like a brown alert? What are we talking about? Here? I don't know. <laughs> is it going to be a quick bathroom break or are you going to be in there a while? I don't know. You just have to... Jesus, thing, guys. Guys, guys, which, guys, guys. There's a couple of things which annoyed me about this. I do think it's worth watching, but there's... I, just as with any work of art, there can be some flaws. Whoa. Mm. And <laughs> McCartney's voice isn't what it is, right? So he doesn't always sing along. Sometimes he sort of hums along. Is he still alive? He is still alive, <laughs> but he's getting on a bit, and his voice is broken. Okay. And meanwhile, Rick mm -hmm. Rubin, who is a, a very, you know, he did all those Johnny Cash LPs. He did, uh, didn't he set up Def Jam or something like that? You know, he's a world-renowned producer. Dude. He's a yeah. dude, right? McCartney will say something, and Rick Rubin will go, wow. Like, well, of course, you know, all, all McCartney's saying, well, so what we did was we went one octave lower because we slowed it down. You know, it's like, and he's going, like, oh, that's amazing. And you think, no, it's not <laughs> it's that like, amazing. It's like, it's, it's like the, the Chris Farley interview on Saturday Night Live. Remember that? <laughs> with, with Paul McCartney. <laughs> Graham, you would love if I did that to you. What if I told you if you every told time me, you spoke, I would go, "Wow, Graham, you're so smart. That's an amazing, amazing <laughs> yeah. point you just yeah, made. You just, wow, what great research you've done." You've, yeah, you've just done it in a very sarcastic fashion. I don't think Rick Rubin was doing it out of sarcasm. Anyway, okay. there's great music in it. You do get to hear some incredible bass playing, and hmm. uh, it's worth checking out. It's McCartney 321. It's on Disney Plus and Hulu. I've enjoyed it, but I just thought it could have been a bit better. What I'm actually looking forward to is Peter Jackson's uh, Get Back documentary. That's going to be awesome. There's a series of documentaries from, I don't know, probably a decade ago called Classic Albums. Oh, yes. And it's a similar similar sort of thing where they sit down at the mixing board with the artists and just go deconstruct what how the songs were made and uh, they are fun i i do enjoy those and so it sounds like this is along the same lines. along the same lines but not as good dave to be honest classic <laughs> albums is better so so would you like to, to change your pick of the week to classic to classic albums <laughs> yeah i'm gonna change it now to classic albums which is a great documentary oh series uh you're gonna have to figure out how to handle this in the show notes <laughs> dave what's your pick of the week well, when we were growing up, I don't know about you, but there was always that one kid in the neighborhood who just seemed to have the coolest uh, swing set or, you know, the, the boys down the street who had dirt bikes and uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, go-karts, <laughs> yeah, BB yeah. guns, uh, yeah. you know, everything had, they had all the, you know, the Star Wars action figures and you know, just like they had everything. Yeah. <laughs> right. And typically it was a group of boys. They, they also had permissive parents who would just let them uh. run wild throughout the neighborhood. Uh, and so no one could compete with them. Well, my pick of the week uh, this week is someone who is definitely out there <laughs> trying to be the uh, home in the neighborhood that no one can compete with. And this is uh, a gentleman by the name of Sean La Rochelle. Sean right. La Rochelle. Well, perfectly said. <laughs> Thank you, Carol. I was hoping that would pass your muster. He has built a backyard roller coaster called Little Thunder. 
which it was inspired by Big Thunder Mountain at Disney World and Disneyland. All the right. Disney parks have their Big Thunder Mountains. And he and his family and friends have built a small-scale version of Big Thunder Mountain Railroad. And it is amazing. There, we have a YouTube ride-through of the ride. Um, oh, my goodness. I'm checking it out right now. Yeah. This is extraordinary. Yeah. I love that they have what looks like flamethrowers, which I'm really hoping are just LEDs <laughs> and smoke machines. <laughs> well, you never know. <laughs> so he's basically got a mountain with waterfalls and the like in his backyard. Mm-hmm. Yep. It's right. quite big and a roller coaster going around it as well. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Built a whole Western village to go with it. Uh, and <laughs> lockdown is generous to some folk. Yeah. Well, that's the thing. This is this was their their COVID project, and amazing. what's even more amazing, this is not their first one, right? <laughs> he built a version of the Matterhorn, which is another Disneyland ride. That's the one with the the Yeti, where you go through the uh, the mountain. It's uh, supposed to be like a bobsled run. They built a miniature version of the Matterhorn, tore that one down to have the room to build uh, uh, the Big Thunder Mountain. <laughs> Wow. Oh, my yeah. goodness. Yeah. Isn't this amazing? Yeah. So I is. also included a, a link here that if you if this is something you want to get into, but you don't have the time to really design your own, I have a link to a company who sells used full-size amusement rides. <laughs> so <laughs> Full-size? <laughs> full-size. So if you ever wanted to, it's amusement-rides.com website here you'll see in the show notes there uh i never really thought about the fact that sometimes theme parks they turn over their roller coasters and they just don't get scrapped and melted down for the metal no they get put on the used market and so if you want uh, a roller coaster if you want a, a zipper if you want a drop tower this company has it all and you can buy them and, and what? I buy them, and then what? Anyone can just come on and I put it together. Like, I presume it comes in parts. Just put it in the back garden. Yeah. yeah. Right. What? Why not? No. <laughs> you know, the Oxford St. Giles Fair is on right now. Yeah. Yeah. There you and go. that has rides. Yeah. I don't go on those rides either. Out of just fear. Look, I just think, why would I go on something that's taken, you know, put up and taken down and <laughs> traveling right. around from no, city to city? No, that is a good point. My Yes, my wife and I have, have often looked at each other at the county fair and said, do we really want to put our children's life in the hands of people who are traveling from town to town? Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. But, and yet we do. But, uh, yeah, there are, I mean, there are, you can get a, a, a Ferris wheel, you could get a carousel, you, but you could get a full sized roller coaster that can carry 28 people at a time on this website. You know, this website could give the prices. Well, if you, if you have to ask, Carol. I just want to know <laughs> how much does a double combo it. tower go for? Right? I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. But who yeah. knew there was a used market for that? Now we we know. We now. all do now. <laughs> we all do now. Right. And so the uh, the backyard Little Thunder Railroad and the amusement rides uh, used market for full size theme park rides combined. Those are my pick of the week. Terrific. And if any listeners have got a, 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 an amusement park ride in their back garden, <laughs> let us know. Send us the photographs. Tweet yeah, us. Send us a pick. <laughs> yeah. We'll make a whole show about it. <laughs> right. Grow, what have you got for us? 
Um, a Netflix series that dropped globally just a few weeks ago called Postmortem, No One Dies in Scarness. Right. Now, first, this is probably not for you, D-Dog, because mm. I know that you're not a fan of the horror scary stuff. Mm-mm. Although I did start watching, based on your recommendation, I started watching What We Do in the Shadows. Uh, good, right? Very funny. Very funny. Very funny. I, I saw a bit of that as well, and it was quite funny. I particularly like the modern vampire who... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Yeah, totally. Okay, oh, so you might like this then. This, okay. mi- this, might be, this might be right up your alleys, guys. The show opens with Liv, okay, she's, I don't know, 20-something, being declared dead. Hours later, she wakes up on the forensic table just as the knife is about to cut her open. And she realizes that she's developed a dislike for food, but a yearning for blood. Mm. And the only funeral place in this small town is run by her brother, who is facing mounting debt to people's refusal to die as they used to. No one dies in Scarness. That's probably why the name of the show is named this. Ah. Now it is a bit spooky and a bit gross, but it's also very funny. Like it's a perfect dark comedy. Um, <laughs> and I think one of the things that I loved most, and I don't know if this is the case. So I'd love for you to watch it, uh, uh, Dave, and tell me if it's in the States, it's the same, but mm-hmm. the dubbing. So I'm watching it and I never do that. I normally watch an original language and read it, but I, for some reason we were watching it dubbed and in the UK, at least it's bloody fantastic like whoever chose the voice actors they're all uk voices from all around but it's just a hat tip to them because there's there's really strong characters in the voices and they're just done with really great care are you sure it's dubbed Mm. because you know if this does come from yes sometimes what they do is they they refilm don't they in they do every take in different languages yeah i think you need to watch it and you'll see that i'm pretty on point with that yeah Hmm. okay and the thing is, is the writing is excellent. The twists and turns that happen are seriously unexpected. Like I can normally, I normally go, oh, I think I've got it. I've got it. I've got it. But it's taken to about episode five to actually nail it down. So, and it's beautifully filmed. So just watch it. It's called Postmortem. No one dies in Scarness. And, uh, and it's beautiful in a very dark way. And you can find out Netflix. Cool. Fantastic. Sounds great. Well, a good and motley collection of picks of the week this week which just about wrapped up the show for this week. Dave, I'm sure lots of our listeners would love to follow you online. What is the best way for folks to find out what you're up to? Uh, on Twitter, I am at Bittner. That's B-I-T-T-N-E-R. And other than that, just go to thecyberwire.com. And you can follow us on Twitter at Smash Insecurity. No G, Twitter and last have a G. And we're also on Reddit in the Smash Insecurity subreddit. And don't forget to ensure you never miss another episode. Follow Smash Insecurity in your favorite podcast app. Go on, do it now. And thanks to this week's episode sponsors, privacy.com and 1Password, and to our wonderful Patreon community. It's thanks to them all that this show is free. For episode show notes, sponsorship information, guest lists, and the entire back catalog of more than 242 episodes, check out smashinsecurity.com. Until next time, cheerio. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye-bye.
Hello, peeps. It's Carol. So as some of you know, I am trying to make headway into Artland. And in learning a skill, you don't make cash. In fact, you spend cash in order to better yourself at the skill. Plus, you have to devote hours and hours every day to get better. Thing is, I wouldn't be able to do it without you listeners, you sponsors, you Patreon supporters, and reviewers. Like Duty Fish, who wrote this week. This is undoubtedly the best lighthearted, entertaining podcast that covers cybersecurity, technology, and just about everything else. The hosts, Graham and Carol, are wonderfully team and have a brilliant rapport. The content is enjoyable and interesting. The guests are part of the family, new or revisiting. Certainly one to try. I listened to one episode recently and now I'm going through the entire back catalog. I love it. Keep it up, guys. Five stars from Duty Fish. So, from the bottom of this little artist wannabe's heart, and on behalf of Graham, we thank you all for supporting the Smashing Security community. Because you make a difference. Stay safe, and see you next week.